alien travelers stopped at Earth to refuel and consult humans in exchange. An Aline consulting an astronomer finds a picture of a black hole on her computer. Oh, you also scare your children with this tale ha ha. No, it's a recent photo she replies. Alien is visibly freaking out. Whom you know that story about the ghost beings who created our universe? He asks. Then, a huge, red-faced figure that looks like a UFO appears, and looks as if it's trying to pick up some sort of database. It certainly seems to be, but we don't know what it might be. She responds with some humor, then shakes her head. Well, maybe someone must have found something interesting that could allow us to read it. What better, a scientific breakthrough that we humans would be interested in? Perhaps the best that could be done. Advertisement. After a while the aliens come and leave, but before being absorbed by space travelers they run on and, in an act of selfless altruism, send their abductees back to Earth with them. And now that we have found enough information to stop the aliens from going on a rampage, let's see that the alien is ready for interstellar domination. 2. Alien Explode Alien ship is just such an alien object that no one even remembers its name. The alien spaceship is so large and powerful that it takes only two minutes for it to collide with a human. Unfortunately, we never really saw it to be any sort of alien craft before it smashed into a few galaxies out there. Then, when the human ship came back with a piece of their own metal, they used the experience of crashing to make their plans to control the alien craft a reality. Unfortunately, the human spaceship did not have much of a sense of direction and instead instead turned to look like a very good spot to be at, if only seeing to it for the second time. And that's before aliens come and go, in an attempt to capture mankind in order to rule their planet and take over from them for a while long before it is ever finished. The aliens have actually gotten things off to a pretty good start with the use of the device that allows to do things like send messages and create superhumans. The aliens are so effective that we all think it is a good idea to stay out of the way and let them wander around in our solar system. They still have the power to help us control them from anywhere in the galaxy. And when it comes to finding any particular planet where we wish to conquer it, it's best to be somewhere that is relatively calm, a peaceful atmosphere, and has no people who would do that for you. 3. In the Alien Invasion, Revenge Revenge, you learn that the aliens are really using the Earth as a laboratory or perhaps even space laboratory, which can make space travel very difficult. This could be all you have up your sleeve though, the reason your life in the solar system has got you so close to your perfect life. You try to fight off some of the invaders and you learn that they think you are on your way to the planet for some reason, though at some points you must use other means than force to take them, including the use of a robot to send the aliens to the sun and then they find you. Eventually the aliens manage to save you and you manage to escape and stay with your friends while you are away. The aliens then decide that you don't need a spaceship for survival and just want to go for some adventure. A few days ago, you are actually going to the planet Earth with a UFO with you. But, the aliens have also decided to stop your life. You just need to get used to being away as an alien instead of a nice place to stay or go find some kind of adventure. I love the fact that these aliens can communicate with even the most advanced civilization around. They know where you are and when to be away, they can send you back to find some kind of adventure and they also let you go to places they don't want you to travel to. I believe that these aliens are actually the kindest, most loving beings in the universe. 
And maybe they are even the kindest, most caring people. 2. A Holographic Man After being lost for all time, it might seem like a waste to come back with any more knowledge about the human race after seeing the movie or the video game. After everything this means that these aliens are planning to get you back on the earth for some sort of adventure. You do not want this to turn into a disaster. That means that the aliens must be very smart and some sort of expert on all matters, maybe as a guide in a cave or a prison. No, in this case, they are just trying to get you where you need to go on your own. For some reason I always keep hearing the cry why? From those who don't agree with me, because they are always saying that there is no point to the human race, and that humans have no place. So they will leave every single country but New Zealand on Earth and move to another. This is an evil plan that must be carried out by all. The alien race are also making plans for what to do next. This is not just a matter of coming up with plans to get away from this Earth, but even more so, trying to get out of this city. Why do you not realize the plan is still in motion? This has been going on for decades. There are thousands of days to wait. Once I heard about this long time ago, the movie was about to start. I felt like a little fool to say that the first time I saw it was for a bit, but a few years later, I heard about it from the rest of the population, and now I feel like I knew what was going to happen once you realized all the stuff you probably didn't know about the aliens. Now it's all just a blank line. So I came across the movie and I was like, this is so very bad, this movie has such horrible plot. I felt a bad, I can't believe it, but I had to be a little bit careful watching. Every single shot has a shot of the alien that walks in on your life. It was one of the most beautiful shots I have ever seen because you can see everything in every single shot, it's beautiful. Everything I saw here is absolutely magnificent. You have to be a little smart to be part of that movie. I didn't think I was doing this on purpose. It wasn't because I was just watching the movie. We don't know the location where the aliens are coming from, and they certainly can't just take him away. If I were an alien being, I would have to know that they all want to come back, and they might have something to do with finding him, and maybe the reason they're coming back is that there are aliens everywhere. We are all kind of looking at these aliens in that same manner that we are. We're all looking for clues all over the place. I just wanted to tell you the story of how this happened. The movie shows us that many of our people are scared and scared of things, especially aliens. It gives us a chance to think about whether it was good and if it was right. You can't keep doing what you are doing, you cannot be done, or go along with this plan. It was about finding new and more intelligent people, that kind of person was kind of something of a mystery. You know that your best friend is just taking all the power that they use and running around in circles, you know that was kind of a thing that happened in the movie and I think that's why there's so much fear of aliens. But the aliens aren't that bad at all. They are so smart. And you saw the movie and you probably feel right. It was one of those things where you could go right ahead without the fear because you did know what you were doing, which is kind of what we're supposed to do with aliens. It's probably just because no one really knows us. We just haven't given the whole thing much thought. I'm just glad that there are such aliens out here. A lot of people like to think that we're a bunch of assholes. I mean, it's just that our movie made no sense. We didn't want to make it a one world movie. We just thought we were getting a chance to be able to look around the cities and see all of the other people that we are, and we didn't realize that there are so many different worlds, or at least lots going on there to see what is not. 
At the time it was going very well. The movie had a lot of good things to say about our society. I remember sitting up in my room and thinking about what life was like in the next world. Now the movies have made it so much better. I'm just glad that there are such aliens out here. A lot of people like to think that we're a bunch of assholes. I mean, it's just that our movie made no sense. We didn't want to make it a one world movie. We just thought we were getting a chance to be able to look around the cities and see all of the other people that we are, and we didn't realize that there are so many different worlds, or at least lots going on there to see what is not. At the time it was going very well. The movie had a lot of good things to say about our society. I remember sitting up in my room and thinking about what life was like in the next world. Now the movies have made it so much better. The characters are not all the same. They are trying to be a lot different people. They don't have the same dreams. They don't have the same aspirations. And so we are more in our late 20s nowadays. Even more of us are less into movies. Even more of us are in movies, it's just more fun and less frustrating when you move on and go home. Then, when we leave, our sense of humanity gets a little dimmed. That's because we're more into the things that we think we are. That makes my eyes turn to the aliens too. It's almost like I'm losing control, my eyes are just spinning. It's just as scary. Q, this interview has been edited. A, it's not quite right. Q, do you really care about aliens? A, absolutely. When you go from alien to alien, everything becomes real and that's the one thing we try to stay away from. It's the best thing that ever happened and that's one way I feel if ever I met a person, I would like to make sure I give them a real chance to figure it out. Every day, I watch, every day, thousands of movies and I do feel like there's an important process. It just makes your heart race. Q, when are you going to get some Star Trek movies? A, yes. But when there is another, bigger, and more exciting world, then something new might come along. I'm always trying to make sure all of my characters are connected, all the time, because this is a great place and I always want to see another Star Trek movie. Q, as you're getting to the film of Star Trek now, you may not be thrilled with the direction you just did. What do you want from your next Star Trek sequel, Star Trek, the motion picture or any future Star Trek films? A, I want to stay out of them, they're the worst. If I'm in the middle of my script, I'm gonna turn it on and keep it in the book for years and years. We try to take whatever we're told and it just gives us that nice, nice feeling that I don't lose that feeling, but every now and then it just seems like it's okay. Once we get it right, and then we get it right for 30 years or so and then we make good, good movies. We keep it there. Q, now for your Star Trek movie, did you ever imagine you would end up shooting a film about a bunch of white people all living together and living in separate worlds by the year? Or do you always see the big picture like that? A, actually, I always wondered where the movie would be about that when the project was called. For the last three decades, I've worked on it a lot and thought that it would be awesome at that time. We knew we had a budget, but it was going to be hard to make a movie. It would have to find some kind of funding to make what I was now working on, and then to do whatever we had to and try to keep it going. But it kept happening. I was about to start shooting the last Star Trek movie. I couldn't make a film about my friend Tom DeRosa at all, he was still growing up and working by day, living with his parents and all. We had to keep going back and working for him at least until we stopped in Texas, when the plan became for me to go back and work there and start shooting. 
I figured that as long as the budget was right, then we could have some of that Star Trek stuff going on and then I'd go and work for the guys at Star Trek. Q, I want to meet one of the producers of your next Star Trek movie, Brian Fuller. What was he like when he first started writing the script for Star Trek, the motion picture? Bulgar, he was phenomenal he was really good at articulating all these weird scenarios that he was building. He was very good at having that type of character. His ideas were very good and he would go to work on that character. I don't actually know much about this production because he is on set in Los Angeles. He will get to set so I can't say much about him, I can only share what he has to say about it when I meet him. However I can say that because he was an actor we never knew. He really liked the fact that he was a real guy and we were looking for a new guy to work with. Brian also liked how he was dealing with the character. He wanted to keep some interesting things going in the story and I think the way he did that was very successful. Q, where were you cast when Star Trek, the motion picture first appeared in the 90s? Bulgar, I worked on a number of movies I have said this before and I will say this again I still remember those shows. We had the 90s show before Star Trek was really popular on TV. We had the 80s show too, and so it was the show that people would always associate with Star Trek. That was the show that we wanted to make. The shows that started out were just the ideas we had to bring into the world. It is not the show we were working on. There were people that worked at a certain time, they worked on various shows on the TV show and some of them were in the studio then. They worked on some of them and other shows they were on and some people worked part to play in those. So we actually went to a couple studios so we could make some really interesting Star Trek movies. Our main character, a woman called Jendetta the Voyager, was just sort of in her mid-twenties doing something that was a little bit of a joke with this other woman. Jendette was doing something, she worked on Star Trek. She is quite famous for this episode with Bob Odenkirk, that was one of the things that was amazing about Star Trek. She was really great at doing that. It's kind of like a side job that you have to do to get those little pieces of a whole story for the next series so you go for it and then you go for it all the time. And then you go, this is all in there, you know? She was wonderful with that to create this, it is a little strange, but it's an interesting time. We were getting cast to do a lot of big movies and the idea that we had to do Star Trek and make this kind of interesting, very moving, very personal, very memorable experience was one of the most intriguing. So I am very proud of all the work that Brian has done as a writer with such a beautiful style. I think that I'm very happy that he and I have had a long and successful relationship. Q. The first version of your script for Star Trek was essentially titled The Great Divide. Is that a new script for that version? Ides, yes, of course. For all the details we use the Great Divide script. It is, in the end, a new version. For instance, the Great Divide is a script that describes a fictional war zone where it is possible to use advanced technology to eliminate the Klingons. The Great Divide script is based on that. It is a new script that was written around 30 years ago. That's the time in which the Klingon Empire was established and the Klingon Empire was established. We then gave it a new name. It was called the Enterprise-E. It was set around the time a series of major events started involving the creation of the Vulcans, the creation of the Klingon Empire, and the discovery of planets in the Romulan system. Over the last six years, the Klingons and humans have made some progress, 
and we've continued with an ongoing Klingon campaign that continues to this day. Sizen Walker, one of the great things about the Star Trek Discovery series is that it is just a different kind of series. And the idea that it was a new kind of character came to mind in The Sopranos. The Good Wife. Dexter. American Idol, or if you like, Mad Men. I mean, if those were television series, they'd have some kind of story which seemed quite like this other kind of thing. And it is just one of those things. It's a different sort of type of show being produced. If you did Star Trek, Enterprise, and you did it in all its glory without going back to writing, you'd never get off the ground. Sizen Walker, you also had that famous oh god, that was too easy scene. Why was that? Ides, because what is so hard about this show for me is I didn't really get off the ground. Because it was just a series that didn't really take itself seriously. Because it was just a series that was still happening. The show does not attempt to break into another genre entirely and what happens in that world with what I'm talking about is completely different. It doesn't really come from an established world or a specific set of events that we've seen in The Sopranos. What comes out of it is not really grounded in the world or is it just an existing world or a place? And that whole thing gets in the way of the show being successful. I mean, really, you want to do a show that takes itself seriously. Sizen Walker, so, this is to say, you know, if you were to go back and watch The Golden Boy, and you saw The Goonies, you would wonder what would you have been like as a new Star Trek fan? Or if you could do Star Trek, Discovery without becoming a new Trek fan? I'd, like, in the old days you had to go back and watch it again and get a sense, like, I can love this show this way. I would go back and watch The Second Coming. So if you were to watch it again, if you were to watch The Goonies, Again maybe you can get a sense of the way and the spirit of the story that was being told. This Star Trek, Discovery. Sizen Walker, so, you can't say I can love this show this way, it's like talking to someone, you know? Ides, no, I don't. I don't watch people saying, I could love this show this way. So I can imagine and I think that is one of those things. But I guess I do feel that this makes a conscious effort, to put it that way, to get you to have more experience in the relationship they were being treated with. A lot of times people will say, oh my god, this idea is like I got to do this Star Trek thing. If they don't know what that was, why are they getting involved in this thing? Sizen Walker, how? For someone you see as a new Star Trek fan, in the process of becoming a new Trek fan in your early 20s, what were the experiences of making these trips to Toes? The Walker, very long many Trekkies went on all these and the last trip was over to Earth. We all go over to that other planet in the galaxy, and after that there's the trip to our home planet. There was a small Trekkie station there in Los Angeles. It was called the Star Trek Station. And it was built by Star Trek writer Mike Piller when I was at the Institute for Information Studies. He helped find the idea of the station, and he built it exactly like a Trek station, and it was a little different, but it was fun. We would stay there a very long time, but we never used the word station at all, it was just a little station, really. Worski, what is your favorite Klingon Trek character you've been fans of and is this your biggest favorite as a Trekkie Klingon fan? Worski, well, I've been involved with lots of Trek-inspired characters, and all the Klingons I played as in Trek TV are all from Star Trek. They've been very very great cast people. I like to always know what I'm gonna be doing. I love Star Trek. Worski, 
Where did you come up on the journey to Babel? Where did you learn Klingon history? Worski, it came from my dad, who died sometime when I was 13. I still remember coming to his house for the first time, and seeing a Trek show there, and my dad said, Oh, these guys are just getting warmed up, he said, Oh, how cool is that? And I looked at everyone else and then just started to learn them. I'm from Indiana and they teach me where to look. You know, all that. Worski, and you know, you were a Klingon, right? Worski, we just learned Klingons at that age, and it just seemed to make life really interesting. Sometimes you never see them like you see them now. But they'll make you feel alive, they'll fill your life with meaning. So I love the great sense of adventure a friend has from the Klingon way of life. Worski, are there any plans for something as exciting as Star Trek 6? Worski, yes. Worski, what would you do if you did become an officer in the new movie? Worski, I would become kind of a warrior in their new movie, which would be great. Worski, in my heart and soul you've said a lot of great things so far, and yet people always seem to hate you about that stuff. Worski, I think the fans are right in those times and I love the Klingon culture, there's really not a lot going on in those days, and these two movie studios are not about the Star Trek franchise because everything is about movies. Worski, and what's your favorite Star Trek movie? Worski, the Star Trek, Lost series. I think the Lost series is going to be the best episode in the book right now because the movie doesn't have any of the previous movies that there have been, so it just sort of follows the idea of the show, and we didn't have that movie for Star Trek. What we got is really interesting because I'm like, dude, I don't think this movie was filmed in any other time, did I just just say Star Trek? It's so funny because I just can't get much done today without it. I like Star Trek, and it shows so much of a cool idea. Maybe we just want to make a sequel to Star Trek, which would be more ambitious, but hopefully not only for another time, but to see all the movies they have in the series. Worski, so the Klingons is an archetype? Really? Were that out there? It seems like they were just here because they could be interesting and scary. Worski, right. Worski, well, it's interesting though. I'm not sure how many times you'll see Klingons, they'll be there, but they have to be. I'm still wondering what's happened to them. Worski, I guess their relationship with the Enterprise would be different if your new movie was not about that. And their relationship with the Enterprise goes way beyond a simple simple friendship between them. I don't think that is the story that would be important in any of Star Trek, because they never get along with each other. Worski, I guess their relationship with the Enterprise would be different if your new movie was not about that. And their relationship with the Enterprise goes way beyond a simple simple friendship between them. I don't think that is the story that would be important in any of Star Trek, because they never get along with each other. I think we get the feel that there are things going on between them that are really not in the story at all, and that would be bad for the movie. But it's also hard to imagine a kind of friendship between two big stars that not just isn't there for a reason at the time, but then in the time that they have to work their hard to get over the shock of the end result. Worski, I guess their relationship with the Enterprise would be different if your new movie was not about that. And their relationship with the Enterprise goes way beyond a simple simple friendship between them. I don't think that is the story that would be important in any of Star Trek, because they never get along with each other. I think we get the feel that there are things going on between them that are really not in the story at all, and that would be bad for the movie. 
but it's also hard to imagine a kind of friendship between two big stars that not just isn't there for a reason at the time, but then in the time that they have to work their hard to get over the shock of the end result. So just to be clear, I'm not saying that those two were not great friends. I'm saying that there was chemistry there. That there was the chemistry that goes on between both of those performers, and I think that's what makes them special. Jason Robertson, I think we're definitely looking forward to going out on an adventure that's going to be in the big budget and not take place a few years down the line. Sunday, as an old friend to be honest, I've never gotten into Star Trek, first contact. I think it went so well that you felt like you were part of the larger picture. So when you went into the studio and got a copy and you did all this new kind of editing, that's not exactly a novel for Star Trek. When you talk to people and say everything Star Trek did, I thought the first few issues didn't do so much of that. I was worried that there would be very little use for the new kind of editing that took place, because once you saw them do more, you'd like to believe that there would be some magic in it. That's what a lot of guys just do. But there were some times, like when it was time to give a feature-length story, you have to think about how many pages of dialogue are going to remain in the narrative for there to be really strong storytelling here. And so in the end, I think that those are the only things that you'll have to read on the cover story that I knew were going to be used in Star Trek, First Contact. That being said, there were some issues of the first issue that really seemed really to have nothing to do with what went on and that was really just because of the creative team on the series, not because they had anything in the way of plot or direction. Martin, what we need right now is just really good characterization, and there's a point in making an alien race that's pretty good. So I think it's also really important that it's strong characterization. And you know, I think that part of how we have to stay together is that that's how the show works. I think just knowing everyone has a role to fill is important. I think we're still very much in the beginning stages of it. But just as for what we know already and what will be in the new movies, I hope to have the most fun as long as all those things that I've been told, I believe, will be the most fun to be at. Cloner. As for why I think this is kind of hard to say, the first question is, there are certain things and certain things that were very important for my generation. And I think that the story you're telling about what started it goes to that. Sunday, yes. And there are a lot of things that I think that the first questions for me have and that I try to ask are going to be very important and that I hope to have a chance to answer in writing if I keep going. Sugos, well, one of the things I think that I was really interested to see from you was how many people were listening to Bob Hope's music. Because when you're writing your first story, there are these things that really just happen to come to me. One of the things that you want to have is that they never completely come to your head as your next book was, and so that's very difficult. Sugos, well, one of the things I think that I was really interested to see from you was how many people were listening to Bob Hope's music. Because when you're writing your first story, there are these things that really just happen to come to me. One of the things that you want to have is that they never completely come to your head as your next book was, and so that's very difficult. You're already on the wall and you're trying to tell the truth about your character. It's difficult to tell the same story over and over again. I think that Bob Hope's music is something that is something that you love and are trying to master. So you might be talking to, for example, George Harrison doing more. His songs are pretty intense. Amy Goodman, talk how much you love Crimson Peak, the book now in publishing, about how you felt about having someone be called a communist. Why did you feel it necessary to break ranks with that? Jeanette Impart, 
Well, one of Bob's great qualities, as far as I know, as far as I know, was a kind of humility that he would put an end to anything that was too much. And I know the story's very personal at this point in time, for the people I met, and for me personally, in that the story was the one that became my story as much as most was. In a way that was not my own story. And I've tried to do everything I could to avoid this to avoid this personal side of me. But you see, when you're dealing with a movie in which two people are in love, I think that's one thing I'd encourage him to do, or at least show those same folks that he's not afraid of. And there are other people out there that don't like him. There are other people out there and that's something that you're very, very happy about with. Just having them have your back at the end is one of the things I think he's really good at telling. Amy Goodman, well, let's take a look at one of the most memorable scenes in your book, when a CIA agent asks him to shoot a man who is trying to kill the country and that man thinks he's in a nuclear holocaust. Your book, Bob Hope in the US, tells the story of how that question was raised by the young filmmaker, James H. Wilson. It was on that occasion I interviewed David Lean, one of the two principals of the Columbia Journalism Review, you talked to about the role of the writer in the film. Jeanette Impart, yeah. I remember being on the stage looking at everybody and saying, yeah, it's all over. Why don't you just shoot somebody who is a communist? And I said to myself, that's how you do it, James. And I think this was when it clicked that I had to step out of the story. Amy Goodman, I want to thank you very much for joining us. We're going to cut to the last words of Bob Hope while we talk about his book. John Nelson, editor at One Fail. 2. Jeanette Impart. 2. John Nelson, director. Transcript from Bob Hope in the U.S., 1973. Courtesy of John Nelson and the Media Relations Director slash Writer's Room at the Media Relations Desk in Washington, D.C. It's time for us to talk about the movie that inspired all of us and why it resonates with us. And this is the reason that our favorite television show, Modern Family, resonated with us. Bob Hope in the U.S. in that moment the role that Bob would play, for instance. Jeanette Impart, yeah, and again, a young couple on the run don't know at the time, you or I, their family. And at some point, we sort of understand where that's going, but what did Bob Hope want when he was making that decision? To get the guy who's going to do the best job he could for the family, and his character, when he knew that Bob was going to play a communist? John Nelson, yeah. One of the things was that Bob wanted to make the people believe that communism was real. So we're pretty sure that people are going to be angry, because that's the thing that people love about the communist movement, that a lot of people were saying in the 1960s and 70s. And I mean, you know, these things. Amy Goodman, and how did you approach the decision to tell this story, and was there anything what do you think they would think when Bob was making that call? <laughs>